Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Oh, yes. Hello, my friends. And welcome to this. Another episode of the Underdog Football Show. My name is Josh Norris. Joined, as always, by Hayden Winks. Hayden, buddy. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm I'm getting prepared, mentally prepared to talk crap on a bunch of players that are <laughs> physical specimens, especially I have to pick a first round bust here in a, in a couple minutes. And I was not looking forward to doing that, but I'm, I came prepared with some with some solid, well-informed takes for you. To be fair, let's peel back the curtain here just a little bit, Hayden. You wanted to call this show Players I Hate, uh, the draft bus. And I was like, let's, you know, hedge just a little bit. We don't hate players. We We dislike ADPs, but yes, this is the show that we run through players that we think you should consider avoiding, players that we are scared of drafting based on where they're going right now. And if you want to call it draft busts in rounds one through eight, you are more than welcome to do that. But before we get to that part of the show, a few housekeeping notes, we want to remind you that we are here, yes, here live on YouTube every Monday through Thursday, 1230 Eastern. If you're listening to this in the podcast feed, just search for Underdog Fantasy on YouTube and you can check us out there. We also have clips. Go and subscribe. And if you're watching now, like us below. Um, and a little special announcement. Every Thursday from here on out until the start of the season, we're going to run a game show called The Giveaway Gauntlet. We are giving away 10 Best Ball Mania 2 entries, $25 a piece, to the people that will be watching The Giveaway Gauntlet live in the chat. Now, The premise here, and Hayden, you can follow up on this, is that we're going to have one guest a week answer 10 trivia questions. Again, we are giving away 10 entries, but each incorrect answer that they get or that they give, we take away one of those entries. And the first guest tomorrow, Thursday, is Will Brinson. This should be a fun one, Hayden Wicks. Yes, and it's not just fantasy football trivia or just football trivia in in general. What What we're asking is we want to know what these analysts, these big media journalists, what they're doing in their spare time. So we're going to ask five football trivia questions, and then we're going to ask five pop culture questions of their choosing. So Brinson, you can go uh, you can pick cars, movies, music, whatever. We're going to learn what they like. We're going to test them on their knowledge, and then hopefully they keep getting these right so we can give away uh, 10 best ball media entries to the chat. So make sure pull up, grab your lunch, 1230 guys. You have 30 minutes from your lunch break to grab your lunch, go grab Del Taco, come back, then <laughs> win $25 for, for best ball. And then you can win a million dollars. Then you don't have to get Del Taco for, for lunch later on. Exactly. Imagine being a viewer, getting a free $25 entry and turning that free $25 entry into a million dollars. This is the path we're opening up for you. Yes. Live, that's your chance of getting one of those free entries. Again, we're giving away 10. It's all up to Will Brinson and the future guests to make sure you all get 10. Um, And it should be a lot of fun. And obviously that replay will be up on YouTube later on. All right, everything out of the way there. Let's now get into rounds one through eight. We're going to alternate 
You get the odds. I get the evens. Hopefully, hopefully I prepared for this correctly. Hayden, who should the people out there who we are trying to help win a million dollars avoid or consider not drafting in round one? Well, first of all, Josh, my title is content and marketing, so I can't do this hedge game. I I, I need this video to be 10 busts, 10 fantasy players we hate to the death. Um, I can't do this hedging stuff. We're not going to get enough clicks for that. So all right. uh, this is going to be a for sure bust right here. Jonathan Taylor, he's going as um, his ADP is at 6.7. He is a, basically a, either the sixth or seventh pick in your fantasy drafts. And I love Jonathan, Jonathan Taylor, the player. I think this offense could be serviceable, not elite, but it can be serviceable. But I was looking at the left tackle situation. I think this is a quarterback downgrade just in general for the offense. But I do think that this is a quarterback downgrade for the running backs in particular because Carson Wentz does not throw the ball to his running backs. Historically, he goes downfield. That's why he takes a lot of sacks. And Jonathan Taylor doesn't even have this receiving profile to himself just because Naeem Hines, I don't envision him being fully removed. I think that Jonathan Taylor's workload is going to increase. We see how electric he is as a runner. But to pay off this price tag, he has to have like 50-plus receptions, even in half PPR, like it is on underdog. And just real quick, this is how many receptions the top running back for a Carson Wentz offense has had historically. And Darren, Darren Sproles, one of the best receiving backs of all time, had 52 in 2016. Wendell Smallwood, 13. That was 13 receptions for the most of a, a, of a running back in 2017. 28 in 2018. 50. Miles Sanders had 50 in 2019. And then Miles Sanders last year only had 28. So Jonathan Taylor, in order to pay off his ADP, has to get way more receiving work. I'm not sure if he's fully going to get that. The late season heroics of Jonathan Taylor really allowed us to forget how frustrating it was early on. And I'm with you. I love Jonathan Taylor with talent. And there's a reason why all of these players are going in the top 12 of, their, of, of drafts. And it's because they're all very good and they are going to be productive. But I just want to run through a few stat lines here. I mean, in game four of his rookie season, Jonathan Taylor had eight fancy points. Game seven, three fancy points. Game eight, seven fancy points. Game nine, four fantasy points. And then he went on a tear, you know, 11, 19, 28, 15, 19, 37. And, you know, that was a bit of a deodorant left over from his rookie season. I think he does have that ceiling of like a three down back. Definitely. That that would probably be in like a Joe Mixon-like situation when there's no one else out there. They brought back Marlon Mack. I'm not so concerned about that. I would be more concerned about Naeem Hines in those down weeks that I mentioned. Naeem Hines looked like the best back on that roster. Now, they're they're very different skill set talents, but we've seen Frank Reich pick and choose players in certain spots based on how it can allow them to win and for the team to win. So I think that concern is always there heading into year two here with Jonathan Taylor. So even when I always call this the post buy rookie bump, that's my thing. Uh, these rookies, after they come out of the bye week, you see their usage go up, you see their production go up. So in week 12, when Jonathan Taylor came back from an injury, he had 23 PPR points per game. That's a ton, but he was playing well over expectation. His fantasy usage was only at 16.4 expected PPR points per week. So that's like low-end RB1 numbers, and I think that's where he should be drafted, not as like a high-end RB1. Mm -hmm. And then if you just look at the routes run, just routes run, this is late in the season. Jonathan Taylor had 95 routes run from week 13 through the playoffs. 
Naeem Hines had 89. So they were basically dead even. So um, unless Naeem Hines gets hurt or he gets completely removed from the offense, I'm not sure if Jonathan Taylor has enough receiving work to pay off this much of a price tag. I have him, I think, ranked as like my RB10, Ooh. which is like not that not that far down. I no. mean, we're talking like four or five spots. But I think that's that's where he belongs, not in this like top five discussion. Yeah, you mentioned that he's going as running back six. That also means he's going as the sixth overall player because there's just a run on running backs early on. So let's help the people out there pivot away from Jonathan Taylor. Would you rather take Travis Kelsey in round one? Yes. Would you rather have Ezekiel Elliott, any other other running backs after him, maybe even Joe Mixon? Joe Mixon, I had in my bold prediction going ahead of Jonathan Taylor. I think Cam Akers belongs in that discussion. Austin Eckler in a full PPR format would be interesting. And then some of the receivers, Tyreek Hill, those type of guys. So I think that Jonathan Taylor is a borderline round one option. I just don't think that he's fully locked in to the top. And then, the, like like in our chat is mentioning, the teams in, in that stretch, they played the Texans twice the Raiders, the Jaguars, and then the Steelers. So we always talk crap on this, these David Montgomery splits because he was eating against bad run defenses. Jonathan Taylor, to a smaller extent, was doing the same. I, I just Obviously, we all agree that Jonathan Taylor is a better overall talent, and that's why he is getting drafted well ahead of David Montgomery. But I, I just want to temp, just tap the brakes just a little bit on, yeah. on his ADP right now. Yeah, right now he's being drafted in that top tier. Like you mentioned, I mean, Chris McCaffrey, Davin Cook, Saquon Barkley, Derek Henry, Alvin Kamara, and then Jonathan Taylor, because the tier is decided by Travis Kelsey. Is it not like that's a tier break at the running back spot? So you think it should be because those top five, I think, in our class of their own. So that that's really the discussion that we're having right now. I like it. Again, we love Jonathan Taylor. It's just if you're in that number six spot, you are kind of at that pivot point of of those top 12 selections. All right. So you had picks one through 12. That means I've picked 13 through 24. I love George Kittle. I mean, George Kittle is arguably the most complete tight end in football. And it's so easy to say that because his 2018 and 2019 seasons were sensational, over 85 catches in each of those two seasons. But if we look at the rosters of the people he was playing with during those times, one, the quarterback play wasn't great. Granted, it should be a lot better this year. But who he was competing with in that wide receiver and pass catching spot. It was Kendrick Bourne with 66 targets in 2018, along with Pierre Garçon and Dante Pettis. I mean, he doubled up Kendrick Bourne's targets that season. And then in 2019, it was rookie year Debo Samuel and Manuel Sanders who came in halfway through the season in a trade. So now the pass catching group of the San Francisco 49ers is just so much better. I mean, you have a proven Debo Samuel, who is among the NFL's best in yards after catch capabilities. And then you have Brandon Ayuk, who is truly emerging as a potential, quote unquote, number one wide receiver in the NFL. And don't get me wrong, like George Kittle is not going to flame out. He's going if he plays all 17 games, he is going to be, again, a fantastic tight end player prospect and, and, and player. But I would say on paper, it's difficult to draft George Kittle where he's going right now as the tight end two ADP of 23 when Darren Waller is going just a couple spots later as the tight end three and I think 26 overall when Darren Waller will at least have the opportunity he had last year and maybe even more without Nelson Aguilar on the roster. Darren Wall, Darren Waller is the tight end too this year. I, I feel pretty good about that. And this was just when I was going through the 49ers, this was like exactly why I really wanted to do player projections this year. 
it's just hard to fit in all of these targets. The 49ers, especially if Trey Lance is starting, are going to be bottom 10 in pass attempts just because Trey Lance is a dual threat runner. We've seen the, the 49ers in general, when they are good, they run the ball a ton. So if you have a bottom 10 pass attempts, possibly even bottom five, and you have Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, and Debo Samuel, and a strong run game, I don't know. It's hard to fit all of them in. So I, one of those three guys is going to bust. I don't know which one. I think that all three of them are kind of being drafted a little bit too high. I think that Kittle in the second round is is pretty rich. I think that he's yeah. probably a third-round guy, and I, I would definitely have Waller just purely based off of targets. And look, all three of those players could absolutely explode if the 49ers wanted to be you know, top five in pass attempts this season. Like, If Trey Lance comes in, they're like, oh, we're going to get rid of this fantastic running game that Kyle Shanahan is, and Mike Shanahan have had in their past with this offensive line that we've invested so much into, and we're just going to throw the ball over, all over the yard. That's absolutely in the realm of possibility that all three could get you know over 1,000 yards near double-digit touchdowns. But like when we consider what Kyle Shanahan did last year, I mean, they were 11th in total plays and 16th in pass plays. I, I think that's kind of – and like they're really low in pace. Maybe that changes a little bit, but I just don't think it's going to get to a point when everyone – is getting theirs like George Kittle was just dominating the opportunity back in 2018 and 2019 when he was nearly a, a league winner at the position. I will say, I mean, it's, it's absolutely crazy to think of how much we love George Kittle and he's never scored more than five touchdowns in a season. Like at some point, touchdown regression is going to hit. So maybe his opportunity goes down this year, but red zone touchdowns, end zones, targets go up this year. Is that a possibility, Hayden? Always. When you're, when you're dealing with touchdowns, you, you, it's very hard to predict. He's probably going to be in that five to eight range. And like you said, with the, those 16th and pass attempts last year for the 49ers, that's because they were bad. I mean, they, they yeah. that's why they had a, a mid-round pick. If we think the 49ers are going to be good and we think that Trey Lance is going to win this job, Trey Lance only threw the ball, like, what, 18 times per game? His physical running style is going to make them, I think, bottom 10 and pass attempts. So you guys just got to do the math. Pick which, which one of these receivers you don't think is going to – do well and then avoid that one and draft the other two. I only want to talk so much crap on these 49ers players because one, they're all really good. And if one of these uh, receivers gets injured, then the other two are like, yeah, it's on. It's totally on. So um, I think the floor might be a little lower than people expect, but obviously all of their ceilings are, are astronomical. Yeah. Just, just in closing, one, we love George Kittle, but two, we like Darren Waller a little bit more and he's being drafted a few picks after right now. And three, do we really want to draft George Kittle at the end of round two when the likes of Calvin Ridley, Justin Jefferson, and DK Metcalf are on the board for you to take instead? That, that's kind of why I would pivot away from Kittle. But your point about one exploding if one goes down is absolutely possible. All right, so we've gone through picks 12. We've gone through picks 24. Who in round three should people consider fading out there? Love this player. He's very efficient. He's in a good offense, but it comes back to the volume. And I think that's kind of the the story here is I think a lot of people fall in love with the player, but they don't really do the math on how much volume they're going to get. And this is J.K. Dobbins, who was awesome closing down the stretch. He he can be a, a hundred yards per game rusher if they wanted wanted to uh, want him to be like that. But Gus Edwards isn't going anywhere. And actually, Gus Edwards, I mean they they resigned him on a one year three point four million dollar contract. That's the 14th highest paid running back in the league this year. Like that's that's like non-significant money like compared to receivers, but that's like kind of significant money for for running backs. So I don't think that Gus Edwards is going to go anywhere. We know that Lamar Jackson doesn't throw the ball to running backs at all. And that was with 
a wide receiver group that was really bad. Now we kind of feel more comfortable with this wide receiver group. So I don't think that there's going to be enough targets for JK Dobbins to be an RB one. Now I think he's going to be like a low end RB two, but, but man, I don't think you can be paying that price when those receivers, like those receivers that you just named, when you're talking about like your Calvin Ridley's, Justin Jefferson's are going right around this. You have to pick those wide receiver ones instead of these RB twos. And let's not forget, it's not like with Mark Ingram leaving that J.K. Dobbins is going to get more work because from weeks 12 to through what, week 16, Mark Ingram only played two contests. Well, one contest during that span. So again, this backfield is going to be split between J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards. Now, I will say maybe some listeners, maybe some viewers think, well, you guys are, are suggesting that maybe Lamar Jackson wins the MVP this year. Can you really be out on most likely the lead running back that's going to be attached to him. That'd be a fair question to ask, Kate. In full point PPR, I I'm, I'm feel pretty confident that you wouldn't want to pay this price. I can half PPR and non-PPR, then I think it becomes a little more interesting. But like like you said, after the week seven, week seven when that was the Ravens buy, J.K. Dobbins averaged 11.3 PPR points per game on 11.4 expected PPR points per game. So even if we expect J.K. Dobbins to take a big increase in his in his workload, which I, I feel kind of comfortable doing, just he's going to get more work this year, period. He has to get a lot more work to be an RB2 or a high-end RB2. Um, like we're talking like five more fantasy points per game, and that's asking a lot. So I think that he belongs maybe closer to like the round three, four turn and as like a mid range RB two. And I, I think there's ultimately you want to be drafting the borderline wide receiver ones in this range and not the, the RB twos. Right. So that was going to be my next question that, were there any other running backs in this area that you would even be interested in? Cause after him, it's, it's miles Sanders, it's Chris Carson, it's, it's David Montgomery. Maybe if DeAndre Swift falls to here, obviously you'll take him over J.K. Dobbins, but mainly this is just the receiver group, and this is a conversation point that I'm sure we'll bring up in the rest of these selections too because you're selecting, if you do take J.K. Dobbins in round three, over Michael Thomas, over Keenan Allen, over Allen Robinson, and over your start of the Dallas Cowboys stack in Amari Cooper. And I, I think that's where things get questionable here. Yeah, this is the range. It's rounds three through round about seven or eight, where historically wide receivers just go berserk compared to running backs. So you have to be very confident in the running back that you're taking in this range. And I don't think that J.K. Dobbins has the receiving profile of somebody to be super confident in. All right, let's go to round four. Picks 37 through 48. Let's go with a rookie who's going as running back 22 right now. ADP of 46. There might not be more of an unknown in terms of role and opportunity in the NFL as you sit here in late May than Travis Etienne at this point of the NFL calendar. Um, I mean, I, I feel like it's important to lay out all the aspects of where we stand with this Jacksonville Jaguars team and more specifically Travis Etienne. Like first is a totally new decision-making group. We think Daryl Bevel is the play caller and the one commanding the offense, but already we are seeing the influence, if you want to be positive, maybe the heavy-handedness of Urban Meyer, if you want to be negative, on the roster decisions. And I think that's going to slowly creep its way because roster decisions also impact you know, players on the field. Um, so what is Travis Etienne's main role? I mean, when they drafted him, I don't think it was just a running back. I don't think it was just a wide receiver. Hey, and I think it was more just to add speed, to add juice to this offense because they viewed him as a 4-3 player as much faster 
in that slasher role than someone like, I don't know, LaVisca Chenault, who was like, what, four fives? And they just want speed. It's it's so clear that Urban Meyer in his history wants speed in that spot. And we can't forget, despite the draft capital, first round, typically that makes us forget all about running backs already on the roster. No, no, no. Urban Meyer's already talked about James Robinson, who won leagues last year, averaging 17 carries and four targets per game, 240 overall carries. Carlos Hyde, who's a Urban favorite, uh, is repeatedly brought up. And then you have DJ Chark, 118 and 93 targets over the last season, 115 targets with Marvin Jones last year with Daryl Bevel. I just don't know where all this opportunity is going to come from in order for Travis Etienne to hit on this ADP of 46. We'd love to chase receptions in fantasy at running back, but if he's not getting 10 plus carries per game, it's going to be hard for Travis Etienne to pay off, especially in a half PPR format like the one we have right now. And my biggest fear for Travis Etienne even if he's in this Alvin Kamara role where he's going to catch five passes per game, maybe average eight to 10 carries per game. The other two backs on the roster are thick dudes. I mean, James yep. Robinson, and Carlos Hyde, I can easily see them being the goal line backs over Travis Etienne. So I think that Travis Etienne was an okay player coming out of college. I didn't think that he was like some fantastic prospect, but if he's in this Curtis Samuel, Percy Harvin role, I think that's bad news, not good news for him. Um, if he's not getting the goal line work, it's going to be hard to be in a, a locked-in RB2 this year. I think my main role, my main gripe, I should say, is, is why he's going ahead of Mike Davis, who has like zero competition um, at, at his position. Like if, if I can pull up the running back spots right now, Travis Etienne again is going as running back, excuse me, ADP of 46. Mike Davis is going just after of ADP of, of 48. We think both offenses can be good. If you had to ask me right now which offense will be better, I'll say the Atlanta Falcons, and then there is no one to compete with with Mike Davis there. And if like I can galaxy brain this for a moment, like if we were to, and again, this is a totally unknown thing to do, but if we can try to compile and comprise a role for Travis Etienne based on what he's showing in rookie camps, based on the words that have been said, it might be similar to what Curtis Samuel played last year. You know, about 70% of his snaps in the slot maybe about 30% of his work in the backfield. And last year, Curtis Samuel had wide receiver 28 numbers, 11.3 fantasy points per game. If we then convert that, because we know Curtis Samuel was wide receiver eligibility, if we convert that into running back, that is fewer fantasy points than James Conner put out last year in a per-game basis. And James Conner was the running back 26. And I think that might be best case scenario. Like that's Travis Etienne coming in and being a great route runner, catching just about everything, being able to compartmentalize all of these new facets to the NFL game and these new alignments immediately. And I have a hard time getting to even there again at about 11 fantasy points per game. And he's going as a running back 22. Best case scenario is Urban Meyer just been trolling us, and then he has a three down <laughs> that's workload. That's true. It, it, like that's the best case scenario. I think that the the median scenario here is that he is more of a third down plus back. He's not only going to be playing on third downs; he's going to be playing on first downs and second downs. They're going to be scheming him up a lot of touches. It just comes down to is he going to get the goal line role? Because like how many how many running backs could be an RB two without the goal line role? It's it's a very hard thing to do, especially in half PPR and standard format. So. I think that he belongs in the RB3 discussion kind of where he's going right now. But this is yeah. once like we, we, we've talked about this. This, this is the, the dead zone for running backs. I would just rather take the receivers in this range than Travis Etienne. Yeah, I, I guess it is fair 
to say best case is he just can't handle the wide receiver stuff and they just force touches to him at running back. Well, this is another thing is if you look at Travis Etienne at Clemson, his first two seasons, I mean, was not catching the ball at all. He even came out in a press conference at one point and said like, he has no confidence catching the ball. So obviously he's worked on it a ton, but this is not like just like some historic receiver uh, in college that like, Oh, this is a no brainer. This is going to work out there. I mean, there you are projecting a little bit just because Travis Etienne wasn't some like awesome receiving back at Clemson. He's more of a home run threat to me. Um, and we'll see what I'm curious, like what his weight's going to be. Like if he's going to be playing receiver, is he going to drop like five pounds? Cause yeah. he came in to the combine a little heavier than we expected. Um, but this, this, this role doesn't mean that he would be heavier. That's nothing's really kind of in sense to me right now. All right, let's reset before we move on. Round one, Hayden suggests fading Jonathan Taylor. Round two, George Kittle. Round three, J.K. Dobbins. And round four, Travis Etienne. Here we are in round five. Give us his goods, Hayden Winks. Deontay Johnson, and I made a huge mistake last year if you were listening to us on the other show about kind of fading Deontay Johnson. I didn't think he's that good of a player, um, but damn, Big Ben really loved throwing him the ball. This year, I think things are going to be different for the Steelers. And the biggest thing is now they have a, a running back. So even if we don't think that the Steelers are going to be uh, very efficient running the ball, the Steelers think they're going to be uh, running the ball more efficiently. So I don't think that the Steelers are going to come anywhere close to leading the league in pass attempts like they did last year. And I think the biggest loser of the three receivers is Deontay Johnson because he was being used right next to the line of scrimmage. And they were, Big Ben was basically peppering Deontay Johnson with these like five yard little slants, these out routes, basically using these little scheme touches to Deontay Johnson as an extension or as a replacement for uh, the running game this year, they're going to actually run the ball. Najee Harris could be competitive out of the backfield as a receiver. So I think that Deontay Johnson is being threatened to see his targets come down and he is not this super explosive player. I mean like career, like 6.2 yards per target. He's not a downfield threat to the same capacity that like a chase Claypool is. So he is very volume based. And if this Steelers offense is going to be radically changed, we're talking about new offensive coordinator, a run game that they want to actually establish. I'd be kind of concerned with Deontay Johnson. To be fair, you've had like a long running bit of being an anti Deontay Johnson player, even though he's, he's good at football. Um, I, I also feel like maybe we should couple round what? Five and round six here together because round six for me is Chase Claypool, who's wide receiver 30 and 68th overall. Is it dangerous to fade this Steelers offense? Because we're kind of doing that. I, I don't because one, what they started like 11 and 0 last season, if not more than that. And it was an offense that threw the ball at just a ridiculous rate. Um, what I'm nervous about, like, is Chase Claypool one, he's fantastic. Like, he went from averaging three targets per game in weeks one through three to 7.7 in weeks weeks four through 17. And it's like absolutely in the realm of possibility that Chase Claypool is the best wide receiver on the Steelers. Um, but he finishes a 31st wide receiver in fantasy points per game last year with the Steelers being first in pass plays and 28th in run plays. And this goes back to what you're saying. Like every action that the Steelers have taken this offseason is showing that they don't want to be first in pass plays and they don't want to be 28th in run plays. They want to be more balanced. And so if that's the case, one of these wide receivers might hit, two of these wide receivers might hit, but not all three are going to hit for sure. 
if I'm going to go full tape detective here, I think that Chase Claypool and what his role in this offense is, the vertical threat, the red zone threat, um, they scheme him some touches behind the line of scrimmage too. Yeah. I think that the Najee Harris pick would actually maybe kind of help him out just because I think that you're going to see these play action opportunities. I mean, not necessarily play action, but um, if the defense is collapsing a little bit more than they were last year because uh, Big Ben's arm, now you have Najee Harris. I think that you can see Chase Claypool actually emerge more as like a more reliable intermediate and deep threat in this offense. But I don't want to get too high on Chase Claypool because we haven't even brought up that Big Ben is like, look, absolutely dust. I mean, we, yeah. we, we haven't even talked about that. We're like two minutes into this conversation and we haven't even talked about that Big Ben looked absolutely done with the last, uh, what, six games of, of, of the season. So you're, you're playing with fire here. Juju Smith re-signed. Um, it, it caught my attention that Juju Smith told Adam Schefter that he's going to play more snaps on the outside this year. And that's why he resigned with the Steelers. So maybe that means Deontay Johnson's kicking inside, but I mean, you're talking about three decent receivers. They'd like to play James Washington for whatever reason. They just added Patrick Fryermuth. They added Najee Harris. And we don't think that the Steelers offense is going to be passing the ball as much um, because of big Ben's arm. So uh, you have to, I mean, you just have to kind of squint to see how these guys are going to be like complete ballers. Like Deontay Johnson was last year. Right. So, in review, we don't think the Steelers are going to be number one in pass plays this year because we don't also believe that they're going to be 28th in run plays this season. Will all three wide receivers get over 100 targets again? The answer is going to be no, especially when considering that Benny Snell and James Conner only combined for 57 targets last season. Like Najee Harris is going to get more than that this year based on all their actions. And then we also don't think that Chase Claypool is going to get that same you know, inside the five, inside the 10 rushing work than he did last year. And that accounted for two touchdowns. Um, I don't know, like that offense posted numbers, but I even like not to be a better and best ball type person, but trying to determine, I remember you and I talking about this every single week, which Steelers wide receiver you want to invest in or even start on a weekly basis last year was an absolute nightmare, an absolute nightmare. And so we're just going to do all that again when we expect him to throw less. I'm not in for that. So who are these other players going going in these these rounds, Hayden? Because what? We are around 61 to 72 and even before then. So like T. Higgins, would you rather have? Would yes. you rather take a look at like Bray Nayuk? I'd much rather take a look at like Odell Beckham. Any of those other names that stand out in that area for you? Uh, those two came to mind. Uh, it's kind of too early for like Curtis Samuel, but I think that like Curtis Samuel is a little bit closer to this range uh, I have Chase Claypool ranked, I think, one position ahead of Deontay Johnson. I'd like to bet on the six foot three guys with 98 percentile adjusted spark scores that could take the top off of defenses rather than these Toledo guys that have a career uh, yards per target of 6.2. So uh, give me Chase Claypool over Deontay Johnson. I'm mostly kidding. Deontay Johnson can actually play a little bit. He's really uh, good. I think he's, I think he's overrated, but he can play. And again, my fear is that Chase Claypool just takes like an AJ Brown, DK Metcalf like jump because I think from a physical talent standpoint, he hasn't. I mean, he was winning vertical routes. I went back and watched all of his targets against the Cleveland Browns and like the Denver Broncos. Then he was like, again, taking carries inside the five yard line. Then he was winning over the middle of the field too. And those really difficult catches to make, he can do it all. I just feel like this team is a bit overloaded and maybe like his real breakout, depending on who's playing quarterback might happen in 2022 and uh, and not 2021. All right. Two more names. You are round seven. Who's in round seven? 
Will Fuller, um, coming off PEDs, uh, obviously the injury history kind of matters a little bit. Uh, he's the vertical threat in this offense, and Tua was super timid last year. Um, I think that they brought Will Fuller in to be that deep threat. Devontae, at, or Devontae Parker can be kind of the intermediate threat, the jump ball guy, and then Jalen Waddle is going to be intermediate crossers, screen game, all that type of stuff. So when you're dealing with the Dolphins, who were expecting to be better, there's a lot of mouths to feed for a quarterback who I think is going to be better, but he has to be lights out better for all three of these guys. And that means that Will Fuller has to hold off Jalen Waddle. They have Mike Gesicki. They added another tight end. They threw a bunch of screens to the running backs last year. And then I just think if you look at the team in general, this is a team that wants to win with defense. This is a very tough division defensively. And this offensive line is I mean, bottom three, bottom four. I mean, their guys were really bad last year. It's still a really young unit. So you just have, you're asking a lot for Will Fuller to pay off this price tag. Obviously, he is better in best ball. I don't think that he's going to have any consistent production this year, though. I love Will Fuller. You love Will Fuller. We've loved Will Fuller when combined with Deshaun Watson because their play style really matches and and helps each other out. Uh, What I, don't love and what I think is going to happen is Will Fuller is going to be more of like a role player on this team of making everything open up down the field and then that creates openings for everything else underneath whether it be for the running game whether it be for Jalen Waddle whether it be for Devontae Parker on on contest catches like Henry Ruggs and Jerry Judy and all these other wide receivers yes they played with Tua and Tua could throw down the field at Alabama, but a lot of those opportunities were like yards after catch capabilities. Um, I also think it's an absolute crime that Will Fuller is being drafted ahead of Debo Samuel right now and ahead of Tyler Boyd right now. Uh, I would much rather draft Tyler Boyd at his ADP of 79th overall compared to Will Fuller's of 77 overall. Yeah, I'm very confident that Will Fuller is the better player, but volume makes that a pretty tough decision. Can I go over the, the Dolphins' offensive line real quick, player by player? Uh, yes, Austin, you may. <laughs> okay, ready for this? Left tackle Austin Jackson. He was 84th out of 89 tackles last year, according to PFF. Michael Dieter, 79th out of 80, 82 guards. Their center was 36th out of 38. Their right guard was 76th out of 86. And then their right tackle was 53rd out of 89. They added second rounder Liam Eichenberg, who I think might play right tackle and move Robert Hunt inside. But either way, we're talking about like bottom 20th percentile at each one of these positions. And that's their starting five guys. So uh, this is going to be one of the worst offensive lines again. And how many pieces, and we keep talking about this because you can pretty easily stack this Dolphins team. I just don't know if you want, like, I think from a success standpoint, it's going to be good because I think each player has like an area that they fill in in that offense, but it's not one that I'm like, I'm going out of my way to be like, Oh, I really trust this quarterback to maximize it. It's going to be a great offense week to week. Um, I think it can be solid. Like all the pieces that they've added, I think it can be like league average. I don't think it's going to end up being a top 10 offense, despite again, how much investment they've, uh, they've put into it. It hurts me though. And someone brought this up. Wade brought this up in the chat right now. Um, Fuller's injury history is terrifying. I don't know about you, Hayden. I don't like to talk about injury history that often because I don't like being able to think I can predict it. Um, I was all in on Will Fuller last year and absolutely paid off despite him, you know, missing a handful of games at the end of the season because I was taking advantage of people thinking that they could predict his injuries and that they were going to happen again. I would just rather bank on 
where that meets value and then trying to exploit that. The difference between this year and last year is obviously there's a huge quarterback difference between Deshaun Watson and Tua. Tua can kind of close that gap this year. I'm actually expecting Tua to close that gap, but also it's just target target competition. Like it was just Will Fuller and Brandon Brandon Cooks last year, and we didn't know what Brandon Cooks' status was going to be either. So uh, this is just a totally different situation. You could be really high on Will Fuller last year and then be kind of a little bit lower uh, than the market is this year. I think that's totally reasonable. So just draft Tyler Boyd or Curtis Samuel or even Damian Harris. I think that's a better alternative. All right, we'll close out. That was round seven. Here we are in round eight. Oh, is this too simplified, Hayden? Just to say, like, I want to avoid players on maybe the worst team in the NFL because I'm not drafting Brandon Cooks at 94th overall. And is he at wide receiver? Where is he going right now? Wide receiver 45. I mean, that's low. And he might be the number one target. Like I'm trying to then put myself in people's shoes that they're saying, well, there's literally no one else in the offense. You know, it's Nico Collins, it's Randall Cobb, it's it's Andre Roberts. And Brandon Cooks has, you know, been a productive player in his past. Over 1,000 receiving yards and five touchdowns at least in five of his last six seasons. But again, I go back to my simple philosophy. I want to avoid bad teams. I like drafting good players on good offenses with top 100 selections. And Brandon Cooks, no one matches that more this year in terms of being someone I'm, I'm trying to avoid. Is this too simplistic of a view? Then why were you telling people to stack the Jets? Because well, that's much later. Ago. That's so much later. It's not with yeah. Brandon Cooks. And I prefer a Mike LaFleur, Zach Wilson offense than a Brandon Cooks from a Tarod Taylor offense with a bad offensive line and no other pass-catching weapons on it. Like, this idea that, oh, all the targets have to go somewhere because they're going to go, that means they're going to go to Brandon Cooks. Like, one, he's not an accumulator. Brandon Cooks is not a target accumulator. And the reason that we don't like the worst team in the NFL is because when you lose games, it's because you don't put points up on the scoreboard. Like, I don't care... How bad your defense is if you think that that means you're going to score 20, 25. No. The Texans are going to average like 14 points a game this season. And we care about touchdowns. We care about points scored. And that's just not going to happen unless something shocking happens with Houston this year. And so without touchdowns, without an accumulator being at the spot, it's not Jamison Crowder here. You know, it's it's a guy with a career A dot. He's never had an A dot lower than 12 and a half yards. I just don't see how Brandon Cooks maximizes an opportunity this year. Yeah, it's tough. I was mostly mostly trolling you with the Jets stuff, uh, but yeah, obviously, defensive. like the 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 Texans, it's a total disaster. I, I do wonder if if too many people are just just saying nobody's going to perform. And we saw we've seen like Jameson Crowder, for example, last year had multiple top twenty four weeks with the worst offense in the league with the Jets last year. So um, I think that Brandon Cooks will have some some weeks. I don't think he's going to be a wide receiver three every single week. He'll have some spiked weeks just because he's going to see some targets, but. Yeah, I mean, the ceiling is is pretty low for Brandon Cooks. I think everyone agrees with that one. Yeah, I mean, teams stink because they can't score points. The Texans aren't going to score. I mean, yeah. they're, they're projected, what, with three and a half wins in a 17-game season? Like, I think I have right now the 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 Texans projected for like 14 and a half points per game this year. Like, it's 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 going to be like historically bad. Right. So, yeah, I, I just don't see. And again, this is super late. 94th overall in round eight, wide receiver 45. Even then, if he's the number one player coming off the board in that passing offense, I still want no parts of it. I don't think I'm going to have a single share of a single Houston Texan this year. Like, let's look at some players going around 
where he is. Instead, you could get Tyler Higby, who we talked about. You can get Jalen Waddle, who we just talked about. You could then, this is where I would probably look at, at quarterbacks if I missed out on the rushing ones earlier because I would rather have you know Matthew Stafford in an offense that I think he can totally explode. Tom Brady in an offense that he did very well in last year. You know, Those are just a number of names that I would pivot to rather than take a share of the quote-unquote top pass catcher and maybe one of the worst passing offense we'll see unless something shocking happens in Brandon Cooks. If you guys have watched Davis Mills play, I don't think that you're going to be very excited about Brandon Cooks. Uh, the hope would be that Tyrod Taylor could actually hold this job for a little bit, but I'm not expecting that to happen either. They're going to want to see what Davis Mills looks like because they're just going to be replacing with the first overall pick next year too. So yeah, it's I I, w- I, I understand why you would just be totally out on Brandon Cooks. Can, I'm going to go bold here. Again, rather than taking Brandon Cooks at ADP of 94. I'd rather have Darnell Mooney, who's at 121. I might even have Marvin Jones, who's at 124, over over what Brandon Cooks is offering this year. We'll All right. see if that we'll see if that works out. Um, let's close out with some some points for the chat, shall we? Let's do it. Let's do it. Um, where is a good one here? Mike Davis over Travis Etienne all day. Yes, we figured that out. Um, here we go. When I'm drafting an underdog, I'm always noticing Saints skill players sliding like Alvin Kamara being available in the second round sometimes and Michael Thomas sliding to the third or fourth round. People are way too low on Michael Thomas this year. Hey. Big time agree. I think Jameis Winston is going to win this job. I think that Jameis Winston is going to be great for Michael Thomas. Even if Taysom Hill won this job, uh, we saw that he just kept peppering Michael Thomas with targets last year. I think that Alvin Kamara, you'd be a little more skeptical if Taysom Hill is starting, or you'd be very skeptical if Taysom Hill is starting. But I'm expecting Jameson Winston or Jameis Winston to keep this job um, for most of the season. I think that is going to be at least pretty decent. I, I have a lot of faith in, in Sean Payton figuring him out. Okay. Um, from the great Andrew Mackins, I've been drafting quite a bit of Brandon Cooks as late as possible. Team is going to have to throw to keep up, and I think that means he does see volume. Are you going to have any Brandon Cooks this year, Hayden? I'm going to have to go back and see what I have in my projections. I think that he was okay just because pure volume. This is one of those things where you you draft him, you don't watch a single Texans game, you just refresh that <laughs> box score and just hope. And uh, somebody made a good point that he's going to be uh, the bring back option in all these DFS stacks because everyone's going to be stacking against the Texans. This The Texans defense might be worse than the Texans offense this year. Uh, that's how bad their, their defense is. So I think a lot of people are going to be playing Brandon Cooks and DFS this year against their will. So that's that's pretty funny. Fade Jaguars running backs and buy Jaguar wide receivers. Is the public... Could it be possible that they're too low on James Robinson, who's going as running back 28 and is surrounded by Chase Edmonds, Javante Williams, Raheem Mostert, and Trey Sermon? Does Carlos Hyde know where Urban buried the bodies? Because that's the big big concern. Is is, is Carlos Hyde actually going to get some carries this year? Like, I haven't projected like maybe like two carries per game, and I have James Robinson projected for like 10. Uh, there's, a, there's a path where James Robinson can be the goal line back and have 10 carries per game and like – be an RB three, um, but he would need Travis Etienne to get to get injured or miss games in general. So uh, RB three four borderline, I think that's where he belongs right now. From Aiden, Hayden is almost as hot as his takes are. Any closing thoughts on that remark? Yeah, Aiden, I played high school basketball with him. He is a great oh. DFS player. He actually did really well in the underdog uh, tournament last year. He had I think like three 
teams in the in the final. Like he, I mean, he might have had the most teams in the finals last year. So he's actually really, really, uh, really sharp and obviously very complimentary. Parker closes with Ty God Konami. Uh, Tarod Taylor is going as the quarterback thirty-seven. Any facts based in this remark? I tweeted this out and then I wanted to delete it immediately after I tweeted <laughs> this out just because it's like, it's as bad as it gets. Maybe DFS week one, when you're looking for a cash game option, he's at 4,700. That's probably as good as you're going to get for Ty God this year. All right, everyone, that's going to do it for us again. We'll be back here tomorrow. Yes. Tomorrow with the giveaway gauntlet. I cannot wait for it. It's going to be so much fun. Again, it's a trivia show. Will Brinson will be the guest. Five NFL questions, five niche topic questions from him. I mean, I cannot wait to try to give you 10 best ball mania tickets. Uh, as long, as long as Will Brinson gets every single one correct. All right. To be clear, to be clear, you guys have to be live in the chat. So 12:30 Eastern, bring yes. your lunch. You have to be live in the chat. There'll be a little sign-up sheet. Uh, so you have to be live. Be there on Thursdays, 12:30. All right, everyone. We won't have a podcast on Monday. Instead, we'll be recording the shows here on Tuesday and Wednesday. Show of back-to-back days of podcasts. Tomorrow, we'll see you for the Gauntlet giveaway, and then a great long weekend. Up the villa. Talk to y'all soon. See ya.